Marsha Moran had an active and normal life until she had a stroke. After surviving such a pivotal event, she decided to share her journey in the form of her eight-time best-selling book, Stroke Forward. This is a story about turning a terrible situation into a triumph. Here is Marsha recounting the morning of her stroke and the years that followed. I was very active. I ran three or four times a week. I kayaked at the lake all the time. I went hiking. And I was actually quite thin. And I had low cholesterol levels. So there was no indication that I'd have a stroke. You were meant to go for coffee with a friend and you kind of cancelled and it kind of all went pear-shaped from there. Like, what, what was that day like? When I woke up that morning, I knew that I was feeling off. I went to text my friend, Rochelle, to tell her I wasn't meeting her. And I couldn't read what I had written. So I didn't know at that point that um, I had aphasia. And so aphasia is a communication disorder. So it could be uh, reading what you've written. It could be hearing what other people are saying and trying to talk back to them. But I didn't know anything about aphasia. I thought, oh, that's weird. I set the phone down. And so she didn't get my message. So she waited for me. And she finally tried texting me. And by that time, it was too late. <laughs> right. And, and was this kind of like in the morning, in the night? I woke up. You just you just woke up and that was, that was just how it was from yeah. the... Oh, wow. Yeah. And so previously, what would your morning routine be like? We have two cats. At that time, we had six birds and uh, my husband. That's all of us. And it was Sunday. So us hanging out, maybe we went walking, maybe we went hiking, whatever. I just have a normal life, you know. So from there, you, you kind of had the stroke and, and, you know, who found you? Was it your husband that found you? or? Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the cats was with me. Right. Okay. I put my phone down. I rolled over to go to sleep. I had an intense headache happen. And despite the pain, I fell asleep. Right. The next time I woke up, I was paralyzed on the right-hand side. So I knew that I had to get up and get help or I might not make anything, you know. So I fell to the floor and I dragged myself across the carpet. And I had to open the, the bedroom door. And I can't tell you how many times I tried because I couldn't quite reach it. And I finally opened it. I stopped for, and I don't know how long I stopped for, but I was sweaty, had no energy really. And I finally decided I would try myself down the hall and I got about halfway down and I collapsed. Well, collapse is probably the wrong word because <laughs> you're already halfway gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was laying on the floor already. Right. Um, and I thought, well, at least Jim will come up for something to drink sometime. Cause I could hear the TV going downstairs and crash. I don't know what fell. But he came upstairs and he said, Marsha, are you all right? And that's the time I realized I couldn't say anything. So he said, can you talk? And I'm going, no. 
So they called 911. And when you got to the hospital, what was that experience like? What, what did they do? What did they say? Do you, do you have any recollection of any of this? I remember the paramedics came and the first one through the door said, when did she have the stroke? And that was the first time I thought stroke. My husband didn't think of stroke either. So we realized it was serious. And they loaded me in the ambulance and I lost consciousness. So I don't know what they did in the hospital. When I woke up, I had a hospital gown on, a needle in my arm, and my husband was standing by my side. From when you woke up and your husband was by your side, if you can remember, what was going through your mind at this time when you thought, well, the last thing I heard, I've had a stroke. I'm here in this hospital now. The only thing I really remember is I thought things are help, are fine because my husband is here. I didn't think a lot for a while <laughs> after the stroke. So when the doctors were in my room talking to me face to face, I heard what they were saying. I actually knew what I wanted to say back. Right. I couldn't speak, but I knew what I wanted to say. And when they left the room, I forgot everything they'd said. Right. Okay. I didn't know strokes had an effect on your, your short-term memory and all that kind of stuff. So I'd say three and a half years after that is finally when everything fell into place. Right. Between that time and the three and a half years, what, what were like the first steps? You were obviously in the hospital for, I guess, quite some time, a couple of weeks, couple of months, maybe. So I was in the hospital for five days. I was in the rehab hospital for two weeks. I had three therapies. I had speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy every day, except the weekends. The weekends, they did nothing. After the rehab hospital, I had home health care for six weeks, where I still had um, the three therapies. I had two weeks off, and I had six to eight weeks of the therapies again in an outpatient setting. Right. And that's the point where my insurance said, you're done. At least you had insurance. These things in America cost quite a lot. You know, if you have any kind of major illness, it's like you're paying out the pocket, you're paying through insurance. So at least your insurance kind of um, protected you a bit there. Yeah. So I could kind of walk. Yeah. But I wasn't really lifting my leg much. Right. And I didn't feel like, I should be released yet. So I hired a physical therapist and she worked with me for a year. And so what is the, because you said speech therapy, occupational therapy, and I can't remember the last one. What, what is each one like? What are the kind of things and exercises you're doing when you're doing speech therapy, occupational therapy and... and... Physical therapy? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So speech therapy is teaching you how to speak again. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't say a number of sounds like, and I couldn't think about the words I wanted to speak. So they give me a question, a, a really easy question. And I'd be going, um, <laughs> or I would think of it and I couldn't say it. So they gave me books to read, like, and I mean, Dr. Seuss books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. You got to start back from from base one. Did you enjoy rereading right. those books? Absolutely. And I had to read them out loud. Oh, lovely. Because Dr. Seuss has some very interesting 
letters in combination that aren't really considered words. And so I had to practice and practice and practice so that I could say the whole word and it would be right. <laughs> so that, that was the fun part about uh, speech therapy, reading cat in the hat, green eggs and ham all over again. It was the best. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, and so what's occupational therapy like? Cause in my head, when I hear occupation, I'm thinking work and all that kind of stuff. So w- what is that? So it's the things that you have to do to keep your body in motion. So for example, how to tie your shoes. Right. Yeah. How to cook. How to button up a shirt and all that kind of stuff. How to do exactly how to button a shirt. Okay. And so what was that like? So I'm assuming you would start at the beginning of the day with trying to have a shower maybe or or a bath and, and that kind of thing. So my first shower was at the rehab hospital right? and the occupational therapist rolled me into the shower area. Right. More like a wet room type vibe, I'm assuming because of. Yep. Right. Exactly. And she disrobed me and got me on the seat in the shower and turned it on and told me I could have as much time as I needed. So it had been a week since I'd had a shower. Oh, lovely. Must, must have been smelling like the finest of perfumes that day. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I took a long time to shower. And so it's not only soaping up and rinsing off. Yeah, it's drying off. Right, but I had only one hand. And I couldn't reach everywhere. <laughs> So with the occupational therapy, are they trying to teach you how to kind of cope with one hand? Because I'm assuming because the physical therapy will be trying to rehab the side or the, the muscles that are damaged. So with the occupational, is it just trying to help you to cope with these? Oh, no, they wanted me to re- use the right side too. Okay, right, okay. So combing my hair, brushing my teeth, that kind of stuff. And I will tell you that brushing my teeth... <laughs> was a disaster it's a fine motor skill isn't it it's it people think it's just doing this but it's actually you have to grip this toothbrush in a certain amount of pressure and all these types of yeah it's a very chaotic process but there's more to it than you're saying yeah so i began with my right hand and switched to my left pretty early on so when i went to spit yeah i'd spit and i go move your hand oh it's not moving (laughs) Boop. And the spit would land on my hand. Straight on your hand. Like, okay. So it took a long time to remember to move my hand first and then spit. Okay. So what I'm understanding is from when you have a stroke, it's kind of like certain parts of your body are now not um, like autonomous with your brain. So you're kind of there. You're thinking to move this thing, but it doesn't want to move per se. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And with the physical therapy, is that kind of them trying to make you do exercises and stretches to to bring back strength in that side of your body? Exactly. And what was that like for you? Because where you've lost, um, you know, movement in a whole side of your body, what was that like? Did you have like muscle decay? I, I'm really kind of curious yeah. how, how these things work. I did have muscle de- decay. I did regain some movement on my right hand side so i stood up and 
they called it walking. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really walking, but yeah. the physical therapist had a belt around my waist and wow. we walked around the room. We went up and down the stairs. I think the hardest part for me, they had a, a I'm going to call it a game. Yeah. No, it didn't feel like a game. <laughs> Felt more like torture. <laughs> exactly. So there were pegs that were supposed to go in these holes. So, you know, picking a, up a peg and sticking it on a hole, that's not really very hard, right? Except, so you have to pick up the peg, which was hard. Mm. Moving your hand over the board was hard. And turning your hand so the peg is perpendicular. Right. That is very hard. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So if I got three or four in, in the time that they allotted me, I was really happy with myself. <laughs> so there's that. And then there's the, um, it's a big, I call it a, um, a swirl. Yeah. So you have to take a plastic, I'll call it a coin, yeah. from one side to the other because they're trying to teach you abduction and adduction. Yeah, okay. Right. And so I could go up so far and then nothing. So the, I guess I think I did not do that one very well. Right. You seem like you're doing it great right now, though. It seems like you've got that motion all the way down. Well, I, I, now is okay. Yeah. But um, I snuck a few pieces over with my left hand. Yeah. Just so I had some. And I, I knew that my physical therapist saw me. Yeah. But you have like a kind of competitive drive spirit in you where you wanted to, to do well in that type of way. Yeah, program. exactly. Okay. So that would be what I'm assuming kind of, you know, rounding things up a bit. Two years after the incident of a stro of the stroke. So we're in like 2016 times now. And you're, how are you then? Are you walking? Are you talking? Like what, what is, what's that like? A year and a half after the stroke, I walked and it looks like I walk normally. Right. Okay. And that is largely because of the physical therapist I had for a year. <laughs> right. So they, yeah. they kept you on track, making sure you did your exercises, make sure you did all the right things you needed to do. Was there any kind right. of dietary changes you made or anything? Wait, no, nothing? No. Still, no. still eating Wendy's. So, <laughs> no, I never eat Wendy's. Oh, okay. Are you quite a healthy person then when it comes to, to diets? Are you a vegetarian or something like that or? Well, I was healthy until my stroke, then I ate everything. When your physio kind of came to an end, what was the, yeah. the, the last piece or the, the, you know, the going forward piece of advice that, that they gave you? Just keep working. Yeah. So every day, just keep on moving forward. Right. Or in my case, I learned to walk backwards too. Oh, you decided so, to just learn how to moonwalk just because. Yeah, well... <laughs> Learning to walk backwards was a struggle because once again, my right foot really didn't move. Yeah. I learned to hop forwards and backwards. Yeah. That took so long to learn. <laughs> well, people don't realize that certain motions that we're used to doing just, you know, 
off the bat it's like they take a lot of balance but you learn these things as a child so jumping hopping you learn how to balance your weight you learn how to catch your weight and where you lose all that muscle kind of memory God, yeah. relearn it all again these things do take ye literal years when you're a kid but you don't remember these things you, there's no child that can jump forward and jump on one foot at the age of one two three you know these things come over time so right. you've made a, a big leap back into you know normal physical operation type things right so what was it like learning to write again we'll get to the talking because i didn't talk like i'm talking today until three and a half years after the stroke right okay so we'll get to the talking the writing i'm pretty good at signing my name <laughs> And I can write a little bit, yeah. but because I can type, right. I don't write much. Yeah. That's just modern people nowadays, isn't it? Nobody really writes Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I began typing in January of the next year. So it was uh, nine months after my stroke. Okay. And I could type two paragraphs. And then you were just tired. Well, a couple of things. So... I still couldn't remember the words I wanted to put down on paper. Mm. So it took me a long time to look on um, thesaurus.com right. and get the word right. Okay. So you have to think of how to spell the word. And I couldn't remember always how the word started. <laughs> so it took a long time to figure out what the word was. Then there's the typing aspect. So my right hand went out of sequence all the time. Okay. So it was a lot of typing. No, that's not right. Delete, delete, delete. Type again. Oh, that's not right. Delete, delete, delete. So it took me a long time to type too. So I'm assuming the process of things was like you kind of got the, you know, the speaking side of things down, you got the motion side of things down, that it was more like getting back to what would be quote unquote normal life things like typing and using a smartphone. What, what, was, what was that like? Could you use a phone at that point? I've been doing texts with my sister for seven years now. So in the rehab hospital, I would take the phone out and I would, I don't know how many times I would try to think of what's the password. <laughs> Okay, so I finally got the password and I texted her. And she said every day that I texted her, she knew I was okay. Now, looking back at the text, they don't make much sense. <laughs> Speaking is really interesting. Yeah. So I actually had aphasia, which means that the words in my mind were exactly where I needed them to be. I just couldn't get them out of my mouth. So it was like there were two people in my head. There's yeah. the things I wanted to say yeah. and the things I could kind of say that was close. And the National Aphasia Association says that if you're not cured within the first three months, you will probably have aphasia for life. Okay. And what was that like for you? Did, were you cured in the first three months? I'm trying to figure out. No, I wasn't. Oh. I was frustrated so, you know? so how did you overcome the aphasia then what was the what was the kind of moment where you you kicked that one to the curb well 
it's a long process. So I started seeing a doctor in 2016 and he did something called laser therapy. Right. Okay. When I went to see him the first time he said he didn't know it would work because my problem had become chronic at that point. Yeah. So he said, we'll try it a few times. And if it works, that's great. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So I went in and he required that I did something called the cross call, which is like you're moving your arms and legs up and down. And driving home that day, I could speak a little bit. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so you're kind of like, well, this laser guy, do you know what I mean? I'm all in on the lasers now. Yeah. Okay. So he got me 40, 50% done and then it stopped working. How comes? I don't know. <laughs> so when you say it stopped working, did you kind of go back or did you just, what, what you'd had at that point is what it was? That's what I had. I went, well, there's something else out there that I'm going to try to find them. Yeah. So three and a half years after my stroke, I had a doctor tell me that I needed to try something called neurofeedback. And he gave me the address and he said, you need to go check them out. And I checked them out and they do a whole lot of stuff like uh, ADHD, anxiety, a whole lot of stuff. The thing that I found really exciting was that 85% of people with traumatic brain injuries got better by using neurofeedback on it. Okay. I have to try this. With such a high kind of recovery rate, you're thinking this, this neurofeedback thing could be the one for me. Yep. What's day one of that therapy like? What do you do? Okay. So... It's called microcurrent neurofeedback, and it's a device about the size of a large smartphone. Right. And it has five leads on it, and he connected them to my head using what I ca- like to call cat spit. <laughs> <laughs> How so comes? it's wet. Oh, it's just it's, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's wet. It's sticky. It's, yeah. Yeah. So there's two positive, two negative, and a ground. Yeah. Okay. So he turned you into a computer system for starters. He turned you into a a robot. There you go. (laughs) Okay. And he turned the device on. And I sat there and I felt nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I could see my brainwaves going across the monitor. Yeah. But I felt nothing. I went, okay, is he trying to give me like a piece of guff yeah like <laughs> just selling you a dream he's like is he is he have yeah. i paid him all these thousands or hundreds of dollars for him to just show me a, a pretty picture on a screen <laughs> and yeah. stick some okay yeah so um this device so it's microcurrent neurofeedback yeah they require you to do nothing how was that <laughs> i mean you just sit there and go <laughs> so i noticed that day yeah I could speak better. Okay. After 16 sessions, I speak like I do now. And the two, so I had two brains in my mind. Yeah. They came back together. What was the kind of process of that like for you of going, you know what, 
this isn't really doing much for me to, oh my God, I'm back. Were you like, this must be magic? That's exactly it. And I will say that anyone who has had a stroke and is suffering from aphasia should think about having it. Right. Because, because of the results that you can get from it. Right. Now, 15% of uh, TBI have no result. Yeah. So it's saying that not everyone will get better. Yeah. But it's a big percentage who do. Well, it's, it's better to try than not try with these types of things, surely. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's taken us up to what I would say about 2017, maybe 2018. No? Uh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When did you start writing this book? I started writing on the first anniversary of my stroke. Okay. So, so when things were still a bit difficult. It took me four and a half years to write and publish it. So I wrote the first version and read it. And I went, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever going to read this. Yeah. I don't want to read this. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the problem with version one is that there was no emotion on it. Yeah. So I set it aside, and six months later, I rewrote it, and it was better, mm. except there was no emotion when I talked about my family. So I put it aside, and the third time I pulled it out, I said, okay, you have to be honest, and that includes about everyone. Mm. So if they don't like it, that's up to them. This is your experience. This is your story. Right. Except that if they didn't like it, then I would have to take them out of the book. Okay. Fair enough. Right. So I wrote it and I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this is the one. I've got this. This is the one that's going to sell out. Yep. And so I wrote to everyone that's in there yeah. and asked them if it was okay if they were in my book. Mm. And I sent them the part that they were a part of. Yeah. And everyone who was in the book said, yes, go ahead and publish it. Because it's your story and it, it, you know, it can help other people type thing. Okay. Right. Yeah. But still, I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. You, you, would, you just had this feeling that you had to get this, this story out of you that it could help other people. And, you know, there's sometimes casualties of war, which is, I'm sure there's bad things said about some people. There's good things said about, said about other people, but you, you can't decide what these things are because it's your lived experience, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I did say some negative things about the people and that's when I was in the hospital. Yeah. And I changed the name of the hospital so nobody would know. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I, I understand that you, you'd want to tell the story as accurately as possible, but not to, you know, damage people or anything like that. Right, exactly. How did you decide to get this book out to people? You're like, right, book's written, now what? Or did you already know while you were writing it how you were going to get it out to people and distribute it and all that kind of stuff? So I got a book shepherd. Okay. That's what she called herself. Yeah. Who helped me put the cover together. She helped me put it on Amazon. She decided or helped me decide who would edit it. So she helped me put all the pieces together. Yeah. And um, 
it went out on Amazon <laughs> and it got eight bestsellers, I believe. Yeah. And number one in, um, was it brain healthcare? Something. I can't yeah, remember. Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. What was that like for you? <laughs> so she was calling me all day. Yeah. To tell me how things were going. My husband and I went out to dinner and on the way back, she called me to tell me that I had eight. And uh, my husband drove me to the store and bought a bottle of champagne. Nice. And we came home and celebrated because it was a milestone for me. Well, yeah. Because if, if, even though the stroke is a, a traumatic thing and something that, that you know had an impact on your life, without it, you would have never been a best-selling author. Once you become a best-selling Amazon author, what you know, what comes off the back of that? I'm curious. So I looked at my book on the shelf mm. for a year before I actually believed it. <laughs> did you? Did you at the time go and look on the Amazon charts for yourself just to check she wasn't lying and go like? Oh no, I I, I saw. Yeah, <laughs> you like that's me. That's my that's my face at the top of these charts. What the hell? Yeah, I guess for me the next step is. What do I do after yeah. my book? Uh, and what have you been doing after? So the book's been out for two, three years now? No, it came out in November of uh, 2019. Oh, okay. So coming up to two years this year. And uh, <laughs> I was going to go on the speaking circuit. And uh, I had a few engagements that I did in January and February. And then COVID came. Yeah, and that that evaporated everything. Yep. Everybody's ideas of speaking and mixing and being a normal person disappeared. Yep. yep. Have you been doing any virtually? Have you done any virtual speaking engagements or? I have done a few, but I think the next step for me is I'm actually taking a, a course on how to become a coach. If you think about, so I went to a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he did a blood test on me, and I found that I was allergic to a whole lot of stuff that I've been eating for a long time. Yes, that is a current thing. Where that's why I asked if you had any dietary changes, because there's this new thing where you you take a you know a vial of blood and they go, oh, you shouldn't be eating sweet potatoes. You should eat some broccoli and and this and yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm allergic to milk, mm-hmm. soy, mm-hmm. gluten, um, eggs, wheat, uh, not wheat, um, yeast. Yeah. So a whole lot of things. Yeah. That are quite common. Yeah. They're quite common. And he gave me the list of things that I was allergic to. And he said, there you go. And I went, what am I supposed to do with this? He said, you can buy everything that's not on this list. And it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so with becoming a coach, do you plan to kind of give the, the holistic kind of treatment where you get them the allergy kind of reading suggests to do the the neural is it neural feedback neurological feedback as well as the physio is that what you're you're trying to bring together all the things you've done for your recovery no i i'm going to recommend like i recommend to everybody yeah. who's had aphasia to think about neurofeedback i'm recommending to everybody if you haven't had a blood test maybe you should right but I think my focus has got to be on what's truly 
what are they eating? Right. Yeah. Because everything you eat has to, your body is your temple, right? Yeah. Well, people say it's not what you eat today that affects you tomorrow. It's what you ate 10 years ago that affects you now type thing. Because your body's synthesizing it and, and absorbing it and that type of thing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so my body's in good shape now, but in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. That's honestly what they say. Um, there's a lot of kind of nutrition experts that are like, oh, you think it's what you ate last month that's making you fat now? It's like, no, it's all this long time. Da, da, da. I'm like, okay. You know, we heard something really interesting. So if you're looking at yourself and you're saying all these negative things about how you look, mm. you're not going to get better. Right. Definitely. Because you have a negative outlook on what you're saying yeah. you have to think about where you want to be yeah yeah is that what drove you to to get better do you feel is that that whole idea of like i want to get back out kayaking i want to get back out hiking all this kind of stuff so i set a one-year goal yeah to do a 5k on my first anniversary how did that go it didn't <laughs> But it was a goal, though. That's what matters. It was. So I said, that's fine. I'm going to do this on my second anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. I fell down and dislocated my elbow. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't, yeah. You I didn't make it there. Yeah. And by the third anniversary, I didn't want to do it anymore. But you tried. That's the main part. I, I tried. Right. From that, though, weren't you, where you were trying to to go for runs or that kind of stuff, you were at least exercising or trying mm -hmm. to exercise. So there is, mm -hmm. it's like what you said about the positive kind of outlook on things. The big goal was to run the 5K, but the, the smaller goal was you actually were, were exercising. You, were, you had a, a habit you were building. So yep. did, did you end up getting back to your, your favorite kinds of activities anytime soon after the stroke? Uh, no, not soon. So five years after my stroke, Right. I was getting in my kayak yeah. and my husband said, you did that for the first time and it looks like you haven't had a stroke. Yeah. It took me five years, but I did it. And I'm assuming for you, it was just like, you know, as they say, it's like riding a bike or it's like rowing a kayak. <laughs> you just get straight back in and you get no. going. No. No? No. How, how many failed attempts were there at the kayaking before? Well, I could get in the kayak, but I couldn't, when I was rowing, Yeah, I didn't row very well on the right-hand side. Okay. So you was going in circles. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I would row once on the right-hand side, or uh, twice on the right-hand side and once on the left. But now I'm rowing back like I should. Where you live, is there a lot of um, like lakes and rivers and all these kind of things to, to do kayaking? Uh, yes, we have a lake house, which is where I'm at. You give me a couple months and I'll be out in the lake again. Nice. That's great. Yeah. So, so with all the kind of things taken into account, you know, the, the stroke, the, the rehab, the this, the that, where would you say you're at now? Would you say you're in a a better place, a worse place, a still working on it type place? 
you know what I mean? Like what what would you say about where your where your recovery has taken you? So I would say that I'm at ninety five percent. Yeah, which is okay. I think my mind is much in a it's a much better place. So when I think about the things that are important to me now, mm-hmm. my husband, my family, my friends, my community, yeah, those things rise to the top. Yeah, I guess maybe the cats come in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> The cats. You want to say the cats are on top, but for 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 the reasons <laughs> of this, you'll say that they're somewhere in there. So before the stroke, I was a workaholic, right? Yeah, and the people came after the work. Oh. What did you work as? So I had my own business. Okay, and I was doing marketing for small firms. And I think it's really interesting that I focused on the task at hand mm. and now I po- focus on the people. So do you still do the marketing stuff now? Like, no? No. Okay. No. What, what do you do now for work, if you don't mind me asking? So I wrote my book <laughs> and my focus now is on how to create a, an environment that stroke survivors and their caregivers can find a place where they can get better. I didn't know this until just now, that you, you were an entrepreneurial person before the stroke. Yep. So realistically, you're just continuing what you're doing now with a different focus, really. Do you want to build this into like a community-based thing or do you want it to be like, you know, people come to you one-to-one? Like, how do you, how do you see yourself building up this, this stroke community? I think that it's both. Right. You do one-on-one coaching with people who want a connection. Yeah. And you do stroke groups. Yeah. For people to be part of a community. Well, I guess with the the kind of you know current world situation with COVID and all that kind of stuff, you're not able to get out and about and and speak like you want to. But what what were the kind of events you were looking to speak at? Are there like stroke conferences are there like brain injury conferences yeah, i'm curious so i'm actually scheduled to speak at the brain injury association pennsylvania this fall okay and that will be happening in person i know america's opening up yeah lovely well that is the hope yeah i feel yeah. like we're in a place now where if they open things back up again they can't close it back down people are people are literally losing their minds yeah it's been interesting. So for the last year, I've seen my husband. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the cats. Yeah. And the one bird that's left. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I'm sure as much as you love all, all of them all together, it's like I'm used to going out and seeing this person, that person, going to the shop and seeing random people and having random encounters. At least there is kind of, you know, the future hope of, of your community and stuff being able to be built. But I'm sure you, either way, it will have an online presence. And I'm, I'm not sure what you're doing now with it, but you're a really driven person. Where do you think that came from? Do you think you've been that way since a child or it came in your adult life? I think I've been that way since I was a child. Right. Because otherwise, I don't know if I would have gotten up and dragged myself across the floor to find help. I don't know if I would have gotten up every single day. So even though 
you're supposed to do your exercises every single day. Many people don't. And I made myself do them every day, whether I wanted to or not. And there are sometimes I really didn't want to do them. <laughs> but I guess you, you were thinking like what you said before, the positive thought is if I do these exercises every day, if I follow this person's advice, I will get better. That's the goal. That's what's, that's what's going to happen here. So it's neuroplasticity. Yeah. So if you work on it every single day, you get better. It might be slow, but you still get better. If you work on it on and off, you don't get the grooves in your head. Yeah. Let's say, okay, Marsha's gonna move her right arm now. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't have never got it. With this level of determination, you know, overcoming the stroke and writing the book at the same time. Why do you think that, you know, most people that you know obviously I'm talking about the listeners here, why most listeners or what can most listeners do to kind of adopt that level of commitment and drive? What, what could they do for themselves? They have to think positively, right? So if you're in a negative space, maybe they can think of three things every day before they go to bed and write them down that says, I'm grateful for yeah. whatever it is. And it can be small stuff. It can be big stuff too. Okay. But if if they write down what they're grateful for every single day, at a certain point they start flipping the way they're thinking. Yeah. And they are thinking positive rather than negatively. And we're talking about just a teeny tiny change. That, that can keep you going. Exactly. I gotta say, if they have exercises to do, I'm sorry, they have to get up and do them every single day. If they have aphasia yeah. and they can't get the words out, they have to try. So I started Toastmasters in 2016. Yeah, which is speech giving, correct? Yep. And when I stood up to give my first speech, I didn't know if I'd say a word. <laughs> so I had pretty pictures. And I found that I said this first sentence fine. Right. The second sentence, I couldn't say. I tried it six times before it came out. I said that sentence. I managed to finish my speech. Yeah. I sat down. And I felt proud, not of the speech, because <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. It was an okay speech. But I was proud because I had actually faced my fear of getting through that, whatever that thing was so i decided a year and a half after my stroke that i would find a job right because i wasn't in a place to be an entrepreneur at that point right yeah so i sent out my resume and two people called me back right and it was the day of my first interview phone rang picked it up we introduced ourselves they asked the first question and i said nothing Mm. <laughs> because obviously you're still recovering. I still had aphasia. Yeah. I still had a. And so what I learned there is that while well, you can become quite adept at casual conversation, the deeper stuff. Yeah. It's a no go. Yeah. Because that takes a different level of intense thinking where you have mm -hmm. to go, oh, I need my technical knowledge. Oh, I need my 
my you know historic knowledge all this kind of stuff yeah so that was a test for you again it was a test for me and i failed yeah i mean clearly i didn't get the job yeah <laughs> so it told me that i had to join toastmasters yeah it told me that i had to try to um network right with people and i'll tell you that those two things helped a little bit right but when i got the laser treatment yeah. for my head and neurofeedback that's when everything came together for me right but it was still like i get i guess even though you were trying all these different things if you had if you'd have just stopped at the first hurdle you would have never reached the point of going for the neural feedback thing and yeah. all the other stuff. Yeah. So what would be your like, your kind of like life advice? I have two things Ooh. for stroke survivors and caregivers. First thing for stroke survivors are never give up ever. Because as long as you believe you will get better, you will for caregivers you need to take care of yourselves. You need to eat right. You need to exercise. You need to take time off for yourself. You need to sleep. If you take care of yourself, you will be there for your stroke sur survivor. But if you don't take care of yourself, you will not take care of your stroke survivors. You will get... <laughs> it will become an issue. And you will begin to have disagreements about yeah. stuff that you probably shouldn't. So you're not taking care of the stroke survivor if you're not taking care of yourself first. For all the caregivers out there, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. You know, we couldn't do it without you. If you would like to get in touch with Marsha, people should go to strokeforward.com. That's stroke forward.com thank you for listening to people explained new episodes come out every monday we would appreciate it if you gave us a review on apple podcasts and shared this episode with a friend